passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The eighteen that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello everybody and welcome to Rewind a Raw. I am John Pollock. Along with Wei Ting, joined live here in the post dome. Hmm. With all of the faces oh. joining us on our LED screens. Hmm. Yes. Post dome. Yeah. Well, next week. People. We... Yeah. Well, we're not changing it. We'll still be in the virtual environment. And I don't know if we're going to change for these shows anytime soon. Like, at least not after Raw. Because it's honestly just way more convenient for me to watch Raw and go right to my desk rather than, you know, have to drive to John's house um, at 11 p.m. at night. I mean, to be fair, we weren't doing that before the pandemic. So it wouldn't be any kind of difference. Were we even doing video before that? Before the pandemic? I don't think so. Were we? I don't think we were doing this. We were just doing audio uploads. Way this was a year and a half ago, I can't possibly remember, but um, true. Here we are live. How yes. are you? Doing well, man. Doing well. Had a coffee, good, good energy right now. What time so. did you have a coffee yet? During a raw, actually. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. One of those days, it was one of those days. Yes, it was a very busy one. Um, I've broken up raw now, I've, I've kind of got a formula. And I've worked in intermissions now to Raw. Oh, yeah? How so? Please. I'd love to know the these strategies. So usually I start Raw by about half a half hour into the show. I was not ready to start the show a half hour in. So I waited till about 8.45. Wait, it was remarkable how quickly I caught up to the show. And I'm not skipping stuff. I'm watching everything. And I'm Oh, really? Uh, oh, yes. Even the entrances? Like you're just skipping commercials and you're catching up? Uh, I'm... I pretty much got it running as, you know, they're doing the entrances and stuff. The entrances are quick. Yeah. yeah. Not these very long processes to sit through. Um, but as soon as I'm close to getting live, time out. See you in 25 minutes. 
<laughs> yeah. I've got other stuff to do. I'm way more efficient now. I can do multiple things during Raw. I get things finished. Not sitting yeah. here as my timer is live and I'm sitting through Raw rolls on. Momentum at stake. No, it's um I in some ways I actually kind of enjoy reviewing Raw compared to Dynamite. And that sounds crazy to everybody listening to this right now. But with Raw, like, I can take breaks. You know, like, I know exactly what's happening. Oh, okay, big dive to the floor. Commercial time. You know, time to go to the bathroom or, like, you know, whatever. I can plan my day around it. Everything is completely predictable. Oh, video package promoting money in the bank. Yeah, time to take a sip of my coffee. You know, whereas Dynamite's like, type, 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 type. Type, 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 type. Commercial break? No, I got to watch this thing in the commercial. Type, 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 type. And they go right to the back, and it's like this big promo. Type, 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 type. You know, Raw is just more like it's casual stroll. It's a long stroll. It's a it's a big park that I'm taking a walk in. I got to cover every single uh, path. But um, no, nonetheless, dude, it's, 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 it's like a relaxing. hike. It's like a day-long hike. It's a okay? hike, yeah. And sure. by the time I'm halfway up the mountain... I want to go back home, but I've got another half to go. Whereas Dynamite is like, it's like a CrossFit class. It's like always something going on. You have no breaks. You know, you have an instructor yelling at you the whole time. Uh, and by the end, you're, you're exhausted. But, you know, you feel good. But you feel good about yourself because it's, yes. uh, you know, you've been through uh, a real workout. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I, I will take the Wednesday pace over the Monday pace. But we <laughs> will see. variety is if- good. Is it going to change once there are human beings that are yelling? It's the end of the MP3 era. So we think. That's not a guarantee, is it? No, you're right. They better have this this Thunderdome on speed dial if they ever have to go back to this. I'm certainly curious if, if like, there will be elements of, you know, uh, sweetened audio. I mean, there were before, but, you know, will it be more noticeable? Will they, they be more kind of, um, I don't know, liberal with, with its usage now that we've had a year and a half of it? Do you think we'll ever see a scenario where they're going to need this kind of environment in the next, I'm going to say, decade? God, I hope not, because that would mean um, some other form of pandemic would would be in place. And I I certainly hope um, this is the last one in my lifetime. I would hope so. I, I hope for that. But the realistic side of me looks at just where I could completely, completely see another pandemic happening in our immediate future. Do it's, not it's, say that, John, please. I'm There's a realist. Like an air of optimism, you know, at least in, in our neck of the woods right now. Um, <laughs> I, I really hope not. I mean, of course, anything is possible, but let's just... Yeah, let's, let, just let's, not, let's not be pessimists. Uh, let's talk about the Summer Olympics coming up in a, a week and a half. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, well, nobody will be watching it live, at least. no. No, they have uh, built a ton of venues that are going to have no people in them. I know. Yeah, that's very strange. Well, I mean, that means New Japan is going to have people. The Olympics will not. Mm-hmm. I cannot keep yeah. track of all of this, the consistency or inconsistencies. You know, there's something, and WH will probably be able to speak to this more than me, but there's something about just the, the way restrictions are, are put in place, even in a state of emergency where... I, I, there's still a good deal of autonomy, I, I think, left to the actual um, event holders to determine for themselves. And, you know, it seems like the IOC and the Olympic committees are 
choosing not to have fans, and perhaps they should. Uh, we'll talk a bit about the uh, the card that New Japan has now released, a full card for Wrestle Grand Slam at the Tokyo Dome. But up first, just looking at what is ahead this week at postwrestling.com on Tuesday. Rewind away, we are entering the 90s, both in numerical form and event. The 1992 Royal Rumble from the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York, where, with a tear in his eye, Ric Flair enters at number three in the Royal Rumble. I'm not going to spoil anything, because Way has not watched this yet, because we're going to be reviewing this in several hours, so no better time have, than... I've watched most of it, okay? I, I, Whoa, I've, what? I've only got the it's Rumble It's Monday. Left. Oh, yes, I know. I was, you know, was a keener today. Okay, we're, um, we're going to talk about it. This. this is a very fondly remembered show, but I'm definitely going to put an asterisk there. This is a fondly remembered match because there is yes. a undercard before we get to this match. And I'm going to go off on one of them. So look <laughs> you forward mean to you that. didn't love the Bushwhackers versus the Beverly brothers, dude. If, if I wasn't so uh, attached uh, business wise to my laptop, this would have gone out the window midway through that match. And that's after a considerable amount of time when we're talking the midway point of that atrocity. So that will all be discussed January, 1992. Look out for it. If you are a member of the post wrestling cafe up next, they're going to be reviewing NXT that has carrying across defending against Johnny Gargano. We got Gigi Dolan against uh, Saray and the beginning of the breakout tournament. Ikimen Jiro versus Duke Hudson. Yeah, is that Brandon Vink? Yes. Is that who that is? Yes. Duke Hudson. Okay. Duke Hudson. Right. That's going to take a while for for me to remember. That's one of those like so such like name generator type of names that I'll just I'll never remember it. Maybe a future tag team down the road with Adam Cole. Hudson Bebe. <laughs> Good Canadian joke. Brandon got that one. Uh, Wednesday. What do we have on Wednesday? Wednesday. It is, of course, of Rwanda Dynamite coming back live for all Double Double Plus patrons. So join us then. And also in the afternoon, of course, John Cena was shot in the dark. He actually showed up at the uh, MLW Battle Riot show in New York. A live report on shot in the dark. Yes. Mm -hmm. So look for that on the Up Next feed. And then on Thursday, it's a big one. It's the season finale of Loki. And we'll be doing that one live for all Post Wrestling Cafe patrons at 10 o'clock Eastern time. It'll be me. It'll be WH Park. And we've got the big guns joining us. Nate Milton joins us live for the season finale to talk about Loki. Are you all caught up yet? No, I have to watch the most recent episode. Okay. Well, love to know your thoughts. Maybe you'll call in, John. Will you be joining us? Uh, I might be. You never know. Uh Perhaps. We'll see. Ooh, so that's Thursday, okay. 10 o'clock Eastern. Uh, check out MCU later. And then Friday night, rewind to SmackDown for all patrons, 1015 Eastern. Saturday night, Davey Portman and the hardest working man, John Cena. They will have an impact post-show after Slammiversary. And it all leads into Sunday night, Money in the Bank post-show with myself and Mr. Ting live for Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso patrons. What are you doing? PostWrestlingCafe.com. It's a very busy week, and I wanted to make special mention that on Saturday, John Pollock, myself, and a whole bunch of our friends from the post-wrestling community will be a part of Martin Bushby's BWE 12-hour live stream. It's 
man is going to basically do the equivalent of a podcasting week for us in the span of one day. And why is, why is he doing this, John? It is actually a terrific cause. He's doing this for, uh, to raise money for the children's heart surgery fund and, uh, will be a part of it. He'll be doing interviews with a lot of uh, people that you may recognize. People such as John Pollock, people such as Nate Milton, Jordan Goodman, Scrump, uh, Will Cooling, other fr- Benno will be joining him throughout the entire thing. Andrew Thompson will be a part of this. So uh, a lot of us end lending our support here to Martin for an absolutely great cause. It starts at 12 p.m. British Standard Time, 7 p.m. 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so you can join him at Mixler.com slash BWE Livestream. Uh, we have all the information. We'll have all the information on our social media ahead of time. An ambitious uh, project from one Martin Bushby, and we are happy to assist and get the word out there. It's a really great cause uh, that Martin is doing this for. So I'm looking forward to that on uh, Saturday. I will be on. Are you and I on together or are we on separate? I think we're on separate. Okay. Yeah. Look out for that on Saturday. It's a twelve-hour stream, Johnny. He's got to spread us, spread everybody out. I agree. I agree. There's, there's enough of you and me. We can, uh, we can separate and conquer. All right, let's get into the news. The big item today is the passing of Paul Orndorff, a very uh, notable figure in professional wrestling history. Of course, uh, one of the headliners of the very first WrestleMania, and someone that had, you know, an exceptional athletic career before he got into professional wrestling. This was someone, um, he was born in Virginia, but was raised uh, in around uh, Brandon, Florida. And he became like a major football star in high school and then playing for the University of Tampa. He was a uh, fullback. And then in university, he actually got moved positions. uh, But he was, you know, an extraordinary athlete just in not just football, but also he excelled in track Uh, He was drafted by the New Orleans Saints uh, and then later uh, had a cup of coffee in the Chicago Bears camp. Uh, Neither of those resulted in spots on the teams, uh, so he never uh, did play in the NFL. Uh, But that was kind of his exit from football after after those camps and then went into professional wrestling. And he was in Florida and got hooked up with Eddie Graham, who was the dominant promoter in Florida. And that's where Paul Orndorff went. And he was kind of just thrown in there with the likes of Bob Backlund, Jack Briscoe, Bob Roop, Hiro Matsuda, and trained for about eight months and then went into uh, working. He was he started out in Florida, and this is all pre-WWF, where he had substantial runs uh, wrestling in Memphis. He went to St. Louis. Uh, he formed a tag team with Jimmy Snuka in Mid-Atlantic, and of course, Jimmy Snuka would also be part of that WrestleMania main event Uh, went to Georgia Championship Wrestling. A lot of people will be familiar with his time because it was pretty lengthy in Mid-South, wrestling for Bill Watts. Uh, It was here that he he headlined several of... Mid-South would peak their shows for for the Louisiana Superdome, where he headlined several of those dome shows, including uh, Lights Out matches with uh, Ernie Ladd, with Junkyard Dog... um, and stayed with Mid-South pretty much from 78 till around the middle of 1982. And then right before going to the WWF, he had a brief stop in Kansas City for Central States. So by the time he gets to WWF, which is around the tail end of 1983, he's already 34 years old. And that was a big factor as well. When Vince McMahon was expanding nationally, 
a lot of it was, you know, he was getting tapes from other promoters and they were sending, you know, footage of like their big stars. And then McMahon would pluck these big stars and kind of just taking from all these territories. But what you had was this, was this amalgamation of all of these kind of seasoned performers that had headlined in different territories, all coming to the WWF under that umbrella and Hulk Hogan leading the charge. So Orndorff was right off the bat, a pretty significant uh, heel in the company. He was aligned with, with Roddy Piper, who they had kind of designated as a manager when he came over uh, from uh, Mid-Atlantic. This was after the, the Starcade match with uh, Greg Valentine. They kind of saw Piper in more of a managerial role and then would eventually become, you know, the heel that everyone remembers during that run. But throughout 1984, uh, Orndorff was involved in all of the buildup, the stuff involving Piper and Cindy Lauper. He was right there attached at the hip. And that leads to WrestleMania 1, where it's Hulk Hogan and Mr. T defeating Paul Orndorff and Roddy Piper. And it was a very important show for the company. It was across the country on closed circuit. They did about 400,000 uh, tickets sold on closed circuit. So it ended up doing very well with that last week uh, push. But they also canceled like a lot of locations that were carrying WrestleMania. Like it was like it was a very important show. They had staked a ton on the success of that show. And it was sort of in those last a couple of days in the lead up with the promotion of Mr. T and Hogan uh, that made it into a very successful show. And after WrestleMania one, that's when Orndorff is shifted over as a babyface. He's kind of blamed. He's the one that takes the fall in the, in the match. And then his next heel turn is the one that his career, in my opinion, was defined by. And that's the run he has with Hogan. He does the big turn on Hogan uh, and they end up, having this incredible house show program and Paul Orndorff becomes one of the best drawing opponents of Hogan's career. Um, it was a, a while back. We did a rewind away looking at the big event and that was an enormous, an enormous success for the company. They promoted it with the CNE here in Toronto. And this was a show that just grew and grew and grew. And by the end it was 61,000 paid 64,000 people in attendance. And this was, Largely a glorified house show, just taking that Hogan Orndorff program from TV and going to all the major cities with it. And here in Toronto, it was an enormous success. And um, Matt Farmer, who's both a promoter and a historian, uh, noted today that within a seven day period, that Hogan Orndorff program drew 150,000 people, uh, including that Toronto show. Like they took it. Um, they went to Chicago, they went to uh, Riverfront Stadium, I believe. I have the list in my update today, but it was just a red-hot program. And back in the 80s, this was the formula they would do was take the main event to all the different towns, and then you'd blow it off by putting it on TV. And that's where they did the Saturday night's main event, which aired right at the beginning of 87. And you finish that program by airing it on NBC, and then Hogan was off to... Andre for WrestleMania three, but that the program, it's both going to be Orndorff's most remembered for good and bad. It drew incredibly, but in the midst of that stretch, he has a neck injury and just worked his way through it. And that's where his right arm started to atrophy. And that was unfortunately a, a stark reminder of what he put his body through during that stretch. He's making this incredible money 
and just didn't want to take himself off the road. But you could see in, in future photos how the difference in his arm size as a result of that and not taking care of it. Like it was, you know, a real big warning sign of, you know, performers of, you know, what the trade-off was when you're drawing on top with Hulk Hogan, the biggest star, it's very hard to take your, to, if, if the company isn't stepping in to take you out of that, it's kind of left on you. And that's, that's a very difficult choice to make. So the WWF run uh, lasts until uh, 88. He bounces around all over the place, but like the last significant run was in WCW that started in the early 90s. He had a television title run, uh, several tag title runs with Paul Roma. Uh, They actually feuded with Bagwell and the Patriot, who we just talked about uh, when he passed away two weeks ago, and kind of winds down his career and then transitions into a role as both a road agent and then later training at the power plant. He had that big fight with Big Van Vader that was a pretty big story at the time in 95. This was when Vader allegedly just being pretty pretty arrogant about just taking instruction. And it led to this famous story that's been retold by everyone involved who was back there. But Orndorff um, got struck by Vader and Orndorff came back and just like beat the hell out of this guy in flip-flops. And it ended up leading to Vader leaving the company. Uh, Vader, Vader's side of the story was that they wanted to work out a fine and uh, a suspension, and he ended up walking out on his own. Eric Bischoff is very adamant, said no, he was fired, and that was it. There was no negotiation over anything, he was fired, and that's when he goes to the WWF. Uh, but Orndorff stays in WCW and had that... They did bring him back several times for matches, including the last one, which was uh, Fall Brawl in 2000. And this was, I remember watching this. This was in Buffalo, New York. And Orndorff, he's he's trained all the natural-born thrillers, or at least worked with them in the power plant. So I guess they felt, you know, there's a story here. This guy's familiar with all these guys. And he goes to execute a pile driver. I think it's on Mike Sanders, but regardless. And his neck, who, of course, he's... He's had the the problems with in the past. He just has essentially like his neck is messed and he cannot lift Sanders. And they call the match off. It's done. And and that was the end. WCW was not going to have Orndorff wrestle any longer. And then his post-wrestling career, he went into the Hall of Fame for the WWE. He went into several of the major Hall of Fames out there. He did a cameo with all they got all the WrestleMania headliners together for that show the year in New Orleans, which was, um, uh, it was very appropriate because the Superdome was where Orndorff had a lot of big, big matches. And that's where they brought all of them together that year that Hogan opened the show with Austin and The Rock and then did some cameos on WWE TV. And then sadly, it's been, you know, a lot of unfortunate uh, health uh, updates regarding Orndorff. He, he battled cancer about a decade ago and then, you know, had just been in declining health. A lot of memory issues. He was part of that concussion lawsuit against the WWE. Uh, Several weeks ago, his son had posted that uh, unfortunate video of just the the state that Orndorff was in. And uh, he had two sons, uh, one of whom Travis announced his passing uh, this morning, but uh, 71 years old. And I think someone that um, I I just don't know if it's uh, someone that, you know, there's a lot of history attached to him. Yeah, um, you know, for me personally, I mean, I started watching wrestling kind of after he had his prime. Um, I remember really only being familiar with him through his WCW run. Um, so it's he's a name who wasn't 
necessarily big enough to have a number of to have really any significant documentary or dvd made about him or even a tv special he never so, got the wwe treatment which to this generation that is a factor of the 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 stars that they they tell that history with like orndorf never got the dvd treatment he did go in the hall of fame you know he they they brought him in for raw one year for hogan's birthday but he he never got to be one of those big like a piper for instance like he was never presented under that light so i think that this week there's probably a lot of younger people that are going to learn a lot about paul orndorf yeah myself included so uh thank you for dedicating that time and that research you can uh read all of those uh, notes from John's um, uh, recap on postwrestling.com from today. Who was the guy he did that awful skit with in WCW? Was it the name Gary Spivey? Was that it? Do you remember uh, this? You are asking the wrong person. I don't remember. Some uh, Professor Kevin says yes in the chat room. That That is what instantly comes to mind of the early or mid WCW run with uh, Paul Orndorff. It was, <laughs> he was, he was on the law once. And it was it was not a great interview, but I always remembered this answer because it was just it was apropos of kind of the time period of some wrestlers with this mindset. It was it was Merrick who was doing the interview. And the question was, Paul, who is the toughest guy you ever worked with? And before he even gets the question out, Paul's just myself. And Jeff says, besides yourself, Paul. And there's this long pause. <laughs> I can't answer that. <laughs> and it was just, it was like the guy, it just, it really tells you like the mindset of like some of those performers. It was like, was not going to give an inch. It was like, I was the toughest guy in the room. No. And dude, Paul Orndorff was a really tough guy. Like the Vader story was proof positive of that for a lot of people. But um, it you was don't just, mess with, it, you don't mess with a man in flip flops, man. No, Never. no. The, as Kevin Nash said today, the toughest man in flip flops, Paul Orndorff. Mm. And he always wow. made sure to include that in the story. I was wearing flip-flops. Um, yeah. Anyway, so rest in peace, uh, Paul Orndorff. 71 is, um, you know, still young and un- unfortunate. I, I, you know, the, the nature of, like, what he was suffering from, like, you you really worry about that, I think, long-term. When, mm-hmm. we're, when you know, when people will, you know, criticize us when we're constantly bringing up headshots and stuff like that, it's a reason. There's a reason for that, that we're not going to see the effects next week. It's years and decades from now, the compound nature of this. Um, you know, I watch, you know, some of the stuff with like Masakitamiya in in uh, Japan. It's, you know, where you're just drilling these guys in the head. And it's, you know, Shibata was a really scary one because the effects were instant. But it's the accumulation uh, that just adds up over time. It's, it's definitely concerning. And I, I hope that there's a lot of like the younger wrestlers now that I think like that's gotten through, like shots to the head and stuff like that. And it's not like Paul Warndorf was a guy who was, you know, nailing himself in the head every week, but it's, you know, it's just the impact. It's all of this stuff that you hope that this is something that is not going to be seen in a lot of guys, but we have seen it in quite a number of older, older ex wrestlers. Yeah. You know, it's unfortunate that it kind of takes events like this for, for us to be reminded of the fragility of, of the human body. But, um, you know, if there's a silver lining, it's that, yeah, this is a, it's a reminder of, of um, you know, everybody to everybody in this business to take care of themselves. Way on Saturday night, Dustin Poirier defeated Conor McGregor by TKO due to a doctor's stoppage. After Conor McGregor broke his tibia and fibula, he underwent surgery on Sunday and says he will be on crutches for six weeks. Uh, I understand 
you were lurking during the post show, uh, <laughs> as I understand it. Did Wei Ting end up watching the fight? I did watch the fight. Yes, I did. I watched the main event and I watched the Sean O'Malley Moutinho fight as well. Um, man. Um, well, on the main event, like, I think you, you know, the, the story is already pretty much that Connor would have lost either way. And if anything, this was the type of stoppage that saved him from a further beating that actually, in some ways, promotes um, second match or justifies a second match. I don't disagree with it. It was a gruesome looking leg injury. Do you know what sort of fracture it was? Was it a complete break? It, um, John Cavanaugh's coach said it was a clean break, which mm, looked I like mean, it. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, I've heard from other reporters that have noted that it's sometimes better to have that mm -hmm. than like a ligament tear. So, yeah. it, I mean, he's saying he's going to be on crutches for six weeks. Um, so we'll see what the timetable is going to be um, for Connor to like all indications from McGregor and his management is that he is he is coming back. And Dana White sounds very open to making another fight with Dustin Poirier that I can't say I have any questions left in this. I mean, they fought three times now, two twice this year. I think it's mm -hmm. a pretty definitive answer who the better fighter is. But like this pay-per-view, the pay-per-view in January was a monster. This one sounds like it's going to be even bigger. So And the next it, one will even be bigger, John, because all they have to do, like pundits that follow this closely from a sporting aspect, I think, you know, the odd the biggest odds will, will, will probably be uh very drastic next time around. But all you have to do is convince the audience and the layman that, hey, this was an unfair result, or at least it was a result that was not completely clean, as we say in professional wrestling terms. And, you know, it's an excuse to watch another Connor fight. It's a story now that, you know, is automatically built into this one that furthers this quadrilogy, right? So I think they'll do great business. The quadrilogy. Time. Isn't that what the term is? That that should be it. Yes, it's just not a term you hear uh, too often. I mean, like Manny Pacquiao, really Juan Manuel it. Marquez got four fights, but it, it's rare. It's rare you get four. Mm -hmm. I I think the Connor should go a different route. I think they should entertain the Nate Diaz fight now. Uh, like I want to see where Connor McGregor. I I don't believe this performance is an indication that Connor McGregor is done. I think him at a championship level. Um, he is not the fighter he was of several years ago, but that does not mean he cannot still beat quality lightweights, um, which I think, you know, he showed like those opening minutes in the fight. Like he, he was by no means a fighter that looked diminished. Um, he was just in there with a better fighter in Dustin Poirier. But if you are inferior to who some would argue is the top lightweight in the world, well, where do you figure in amongst other, other lightweights? Like you might be the fourth or fifth best lightweight. That's, that's not a bad position to be in, in a very stacked division. And there's going to be enormous appeal in a Conor McGregor, whatever the next fight is, Poirier included. So like that is going to be the business is going to dictate his matchmaking. And if it's Poirier, I'm not a fan of it, but I also understand the rationale behind why they're going to do that fight a third time or a fourth, actually. And for Poirier, I mean, he's going to keep making a, a, an incredible amount of money for someone that has not been able to have any answer for him. So, OK, we'll, we'll do this every six months. He would probably make a lot more money for another Conor fight than he would for a championship fight. Uh, undoubtedly, he will. Like him and Charles Oliveira, I love that fight. It's not going to do a fraction. Not a, not a fraction of what these fights have done. Uh, did you get a chance to hear Ariel Hawani? Because this was quite the interview on the Dan Lebetard show on Monday. Um, this was 
if you listen to this, um, you'd come away with it. But the video really added uh, another dimension because Ariel Hawani is just having this like all out account of his time at ESPN and the problems dealing uh, with the UFC as he's wearing a wrestling mask, which uh, he eventually did remove towards the end of this. He um, gave us some context at the beginning of the interview because he thought that everybody on the panel was going to dress up. So he came up, uh, came, <laughs> came on the show dressed up as a... It added um, some element of uh, surrealism to here. You know, if Paul Orndorff uh, looking tough, beating up Vader in flip-flops is a statement, I suppose Ariel Hawani cutting that promo on ESPN while wearing a lucha mask was a similar form of a, you know, don't give a fuck type of statement because he, he unloaded on in this interview. Yeah, I mean, just the Cole's notes of this was Ariel joined ESPN. He signed with them in April of 2018. It's the next month that the UFC ESPN deal is formed. And I remember Ariel came on our show right as he was starting at ESPN and noted that fact that he was not aware that this was going to be the case. And he was going into it with, like, if you go back and listen to that interview in 2018, like, you can hear for himself. Like, I, I think he's going in there with, like, optimism of this not being a repeat of what happened to him at Fox, which, for those unaware, w when he was working, uh, doing, like, the UFC Tonight, uh, it took one call from the UFC and Fox dropped Ariel. So, at ESPN, this was a case Ariel indicated in this interview that Dana White did not want him at ESPN, but ESPN was not going to, they were loyal to Ariel and they used him for the, these three years. He got a offer to stay at ESPN, but it was, he, he said he was 100% disappointed with the offer he got from ESPN. So you can read into that what you will if ESPN was doing a courtesy offer, knowing that it was essentially, we are not going to actively try to resign you and it mm. makes more sense for you to leave but um you know there was stuff in here that um j the story that i i just i couldn't believe was where on site at some of these ufc events where ariel literally had to be told by security to leave when dana white would be showing up because ariel was not allowed to be in dana white's vicinity or line of sight uh that is um Dana White is going to wield whatever power uh, others allow him to wield. And you are ESPN to not stand by your guy. Um, uh, that to me, I couldn't work for a place like that. I could not work under that circumstance where I am told I am being escorted out because this individual that we are paying, we are the network paying the promotion, all of this is not to see you. I said, it's me or it's them. I could not work under that. It, uh, like, that is just an, an awful uh, scenario. So, you know, Rustin in the chat room asks, what happened between Ariel and Dana? Do you care for the initiated to, like, maybe give us maybe a bit of a Coles notes about what maybe some of that tension stems from? I mean, it's it's um, it goes back. I think, like, the tipping point that most would be familiar with was Uf UFC 199. And this was when... Ariel Hawani had broken the story that Brock Lesnar was coming back the next month to fight Mark Hunt at UFC 200. And Ariel, Esther Lynn, and Casey Layden, they were escorted out of the forum in Inglewood, California. And Dana White said to Ariel that we just put a bullet in your career. And that was, or so, something to that effect. And he was to be banned from 
all future UFC events. And there was such an uproar in the media and not just MMA media, like mainstream outlets that got, got on this. And within about 48 hours, they rescinded the ban and Ariel has been welcome back at events, but it has been, there's been no relationship between Ariel Hawani and Dana White since that, that breaking point. Uh, Ariel at one time was like the go-to interview that Dana White would make time for at every single event, pre-fight, post-fight. And then like this occurred and it's, there's been some really nasty comments, like personal comments that Dana White has made over the years uh, about Ariel. But uh, to my knowledge, like there's, there's been zero contact uh, between Ariel and Dana White throughout all of these years. Mm-hmm. And he details actually an in interview that he, Ariel was encouraged to try to make amends with Dana. And to reach that. out and try and extend the olive branch. Ariel doing this to Dana, which Ariel said he reluctantly did, but then Dana never responded. So there, there's been no, nothing involving this. Like you can, mm-hmm. and, and I think like what was, you know, uh, brought up by Ariel in this interview is that, you know, for the last number of years, he's been co-hosting, well, for several, since the beginning of his time at ESPN, he was doing the Ariel and the Bad Guy show on ESPN+. And then over the last, or throughout the pandemic, his Monday show has been with Daniel Cormier. And as he noted, never have they been promoted on the on the broadcast, which e- UFC controls the production of what airs on ESPN. That is a UFC directive of what airs, what doesn't air. And then s- this past Saturday night, I mean, they they had tons of promos for Chael's show, for Daniel Cormier's show with his new co-host. So I think I think that was also very very telling uh, on top of things. So, and this just seemed to be Ariel getting everything out in this interview about, um, you know, he was very complimentary towards ESPN that they had his back. They they didn't stop using him, even though it was probably very combative uh, when they're in business with the UFC and with Dana White. Um, he named a lot of the people that helped give him, you know, the opportunity to do NBA work at the network. So this certainly was not, I would say, anti ESPN. But I think at the same time, like this, this did not sound like a a fun three years. And I think Ariel believed that when he joined ESPN, that he would be there for life. And instead, he's he's going this direction, which I think for him career wise, I think this is like th- this is not a, an environment to me that is. It to to have that amount of every job is going to c- come with with certain stresses, but th- this to me was um, I, I think he's in a better scenario now. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I don't know financially if if, if he would be okay, but like I, to me, he, he said in this interview he is making more now. Really? Then he, congratulations. He Good for him because there's no downside to this whatsoever. Okay, because I see this and I hear him. I hear his energy in this, and not only like is he. You know, not only does he now kind of have the credential of ESPN on his resume now, you know, former ESPN, whatever, like he's got that bullshit air of legitimacy that, you know, people, his audience honestly probably doesn't really care about. But if he were to speak to, I don't know, whoever else, it, it adds something. But beyond that, he is fired up. This is like, you know, like waiting on the sidelines for that hot tag and he just got it and he's going to unleash across several platforms in that lucha mask diving off the top rope he's going to be on fire he's going to be hulking up and um i think the audience is right there with him you know like it's 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 a story that i think a lot of us are familiar with and almost everybody is on this guy's side fighters and 
and and the audience, of course, and of course the media. If you're a, 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 a fan, if you're if you're if you're somebody who cares about free press when it comes to to sports, like this is a story you should be interested in because here's a guy, here's a man who is trying to control the narrative based on you know who who can or, or cannot report it, including the number one reporter in the sport. So uh, I wish him all the success, I, and I uh, you know I I know 100 percent he'll. He'll, he'll achieve things that I, I don't think he ever imagined. There's no price tag you can put on independence and having having that not being uh, beholden to anybody. Uh, like there's there's no price you can put on that and your happiness. I think like that that goes w- without saying. Um, I'd be remiss not to look at all of this and and you have to question like what will the relationship be between Ariel. And the UFC moving forward, where he is not attached to ESPN, he is working with BT Sport, which is um, does have the UK and Ireland rights uh, with, with the UFC. But how much of that matters, in your opinion, John? Like he can cover this sport without being there. I agree with you. Um, you know, I think like there there is a benefit to you know on site access, uh, but I think for Ariel, as long as he is doing the MMA hour, like fighters will go to him and. Mm-hmm. Unlike what we would see in in WWE, for instance, like there are many disgruntled fighters that will not bite their tongue publicly that will that will gladly go and speak to Ariel regardless of the UFC. The UFC is not going to be able to have that power to stop fighters from going on his show. I don't think they have that amount of power to exercise, nor do I think they want to as an antitrust suit is still ongoing in WWE um, that. It's very. I'm not going to say never because there are times you can speak to WWE talent that will not uh, have you go through WWE to book them. But that is the exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. And he'll be covering wrestling too. He will be. He's going to be doing. Uh, he's going to SummerSlam uh, to cover it in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Maybe we will have him come on as a uh, as a as a correspondent. Yeah, we will we'll welcome him definitely. All right. Um, last thing. Let's just. Uh, Quickly uh, talk about the uh, the Wrestle Grand Slam card. So they, they put out all their cards through the Tokyo Dome. So that includes the two nights in Osaka, uh, the 22nd and 23rd, the 24th in Nagoya at Dolphins Arena, and then the fourth straight show in as many nights at the Tokyo Dome, uh, which has Shingo Takagi against Kota Ibushi, uh, who is not listed for any cards until next Monday because he is uh, dealing with side effects uh, from a COVID vaccination shot, but he is listed for July 19th onward. And then the rest of the Tokyo Dome card has new tag champions, Tetsuya Naito and Sonata against Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr., Okada versus Jeff Cobb, El Desperado defending the junior title against Robbie Eagles, junior heavyweight tag titles with El Fantasmo and Taiji Ishimori against Ryusuke Taguchi and Rocky Romero. And there's a very good chance I am not going to wake up early enough to watch this. The New Japan Rambo, where... The King of Pro Wrestling uh, Championship will be decided uh, with Toro Yano's options that I guess will be decided with a fan vote that this match will either be contested with handcuffs or blindfolds. For every participant? I don't know. Uh, in a I battle so. royal? <laughs> what good are handcuffs in a, a battle royal? Is everyone... I mean, if you handcuff somebody to the ropes, they won't be able to be thrown out. That's That's bad. <laughs> I don't know how handcuffs would work. They will definitely... I, I'm just looking at the labeling here. I haven't read the ex, the explanation. I mean, handcuffs, how are you even going to get the, the ring? That's a big stadium. A blindfolded battle royal. I do have a morbid curiosity to see how that one would turn out. But um, you, you know what was, like, hilarious is that 
Because of this state of emergency that went into effect Monday, they halted ticket sales as of midnight Japan time on Sunday, which would have been 1 p.m. Eastern. So this whole card was announced after the deadline to sell tickets. So mm. none of these matches sold a ticket to this Tokyo Dome show. Well, it's all Shingo and, and Ibushi, honestly, at the top. And I, I honestly, the rest of the card is is a i'm sure in the night of uh and i'm sure in ring the results will be fantastic because every single person on this show is a good wrestler maybe except for some of the people you'll see in the, in the rambo but um i mean it's a show it's to me it's a it's a one match show that's the only match and the main event is the only match i have a curiosity for everything else is fine but to me it's very standard fair Koroku and hall level you know new japan wrestling um, and you know they're they're a company right now that this entire year for two a year and a half now has been playing with a half deck, and unfortunately it seems to be the best type of show that they could put put on given the circumstances. I am just disappointed that given the circumstance and given the situation, they're not trying to be more creative with their matchmaking. They're more not they're not more creative in 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 doing their promoting. Like what better opportunity to integrate some stardom talent onto a show? than a show like this to bring talent from outside companies. I know it's not necessarily what they do, but I think these are different circumstances. There's really nothing on this show for me as a, you know, like a pretty dedicated, but also at this point, a pretty casual fan to, to want to invest my time into besides the main event. It's on paper. It looks like a very good card. It's like, I think every major show it's great wrestle. It's, yeah. Like, I, I think you do want to come up. And to me, you're going to be fighting the atmosphere of this. Sh- the Tokyo Dome, to me, is not an enhancer for the show. I think it's a detriment that you are going to have. Uh, they're not. If the cap is 5,000, dude, New Japan ain't drawing 5,000 people for the show. Mm. So yeah. it's going to be a, like, they're doing, like, over the weekend, they were doing, I think they did 2,200, which was a very good number by New Japan standards. But, like, I I don't know. This is... I don't know how creative you even get when it's you're booking all of these shows. Like they've got Tanahashi and Kenta the night before and Tomohiro Ishii and evil. So they're not even on this card. They have to put that star power the night before because they've booked Nagoya for whatever reason. And they have Osaka back to back nights before that it's they're running Q and hall to, to death over this summer. You're going head to head with the Olympics, which I guess it really doesn't matter because the Olympics are not selling tickets now. Um, it's. I just feel New Japan. It's this pandemic has been uh, ex- exceptionally challenging for this company. Yeah, yeah. You know, at this point, we just hope that Japan can make it through this season. And man, I just hopefully those numbers are better. And by the time the G one comes around, maybe we can start to get some international travel. We, maybe we can mix some of the strong roster onto it and uh, look towards you know January fourth as as sort of a big return. But yeah. Uh, all of the news is up at postwrestling.com. Quick, Today's quickly, update. quickly, yep. John, because uh, MJ asked in the chat room, do you have any quick thoughts about ROH? Because you re- did the report for it yesterday. I, I really enjoyed Sunday's show. It was one of my favorite ROH shows uh, of the past while. They were back in front of uh, crowds. I don't know what the exact number was. It was like several hundred uh, that appeared to be there in Baltimore. Uh, Bandito won the ROH title. I, th- I thought a very nice main event. I didn't think it was match of the night, though. I, I think those two are... I thought the atmosphere was really strong for the main event. In particular, Roosh. I thought he was a very effective heel in that match. My 
Match of the show, I thought uh, Dragon Lee and Tony Deppin just killed it for 10 minutes. They were exceptional. It was like a really hard-hitting, ambitious style of match for the 10 minutes that they had. Um, my performer of the show was Jonathan Gresham. Uh, you would have loved this. Um, his pure championship reign is one uh, of my favorite things in wrestling. Uh, and went 19 minutes with Mike Bennett, who uh, did a very good job, especially selling his shoulder. But, my God, they built to where... Gresham had used up two of his rope breaks and Bennett fires back and finally hits this pile driver and the three count is made, but the camera is shooting it from the other side. So you can't see that Gresham's foot is under the bottom rope and everyone is reacting like Bennett's one. And then they reveal that no completely right call. The count was broken and Gresham is now out of rope breaks. Uh, it was outstanding. I thought they did such a great job with that. Gresham is so fun to watch uh, and ended up doing double duty on the show because he ended up working uh, with Rhett Titus and they lost the tag titles to Chris Dickinson and Homicide. And the other news was Chelsea Green appearing on the show. And I, get, I have not heard her podcast, but it looks like she has not signed with anyone. And she's also not cleared to wrestle by the Maryland uh, Commission because of her arm injury. So... Uh, it looks, though, that she will be involved with ROH, but doesn't appear to be signed anywhere. So it was like a newsworthy show. The wrestling was really strong on the show. Silas Young and Josh Woods had a really fun last man standing match. And, you know, it, it just felt like ROH has some really interesting performers. And this was a, a very good show by by Ring of Honor's own, own standards, which is usually a pretty enjoyable 60 minutes to watch each week. And this was a very strong pay-per-view. I thought it was uh, above what I was anticipating. It was uh, it was a very well-worked show from start to finish. I would say the only like match that I, I think didn't work for the crowd was EC3 and Matt Seidel that ended, dude, with Matt Seidel spitting in this guy's face, which post-pandemic, we never need to see a spit spot into a guy's face. Completely disgusting. And you spit at their chest, like, or maybe no, no spit. No, no more spit. No more intentional okay. spit onto other people. Can we can we make that a thing of the past? No more intentional spit on people. Um, I'll send the memo out right away. Um, and the final thing as well, Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley, August 29th in Cleveland, Ohio. You want to go? I was asked today by a reporter if I wanted to no, go to I'm do joking. this. And I, I, I don't joking. think I'm... I'm not going to make my return. The U.S. has been clamoring for John Pollock, but... Uh, Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley, I don't think is going to be the fight that brings me across the border. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, we'll hold on to our passports. Seriously. If, if I was going to do the, the, if I was going to go down to Cleveland for that on the Sunday, it would almost make sense to stay there for the whole week and just go to Chicago. Oh yeah. Same weekend. Well, the, it, this would Same be the week. Sunday of the, the week coming up and you've got the Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. So it'd be like a yes. week down there. Um, may, maybe there will be some that'll make a week out of it. They'll go to Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley, and then go to Chicago for the rest of the week. A bunch of AEW shows. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All your news up at postwrestling.com. Check all of that, uh, fine work out. Are you ready? Wade? the final Thunderdome broadcast from the WWE. Let's do it. Well, tonight, everyone, it started off with, uh, they did do a graphic for Paul Orndorff. This show was taped last Tuesday. So, um, that was uh, worth noting here, but I'm glad they at least got the graphic in for Paul Orndorff. I hope there is a, at least a video uh, for Orndorff this Friday. 
you never know, honestly. It's a bit of a crapshoot about, you know, who who kind of ranks high enough in their minds to get a video and who doesn't. Um, I Something tells me I don't know. I don't think we see one for Orndorff. And it's no On, online. It's... They'll definitely put something on. I guess sometimes mm. it's what what makes the broadcast. I certainly see them putting up something uh, online. To me, it seems to be like you know how integral are they to the overall WWF story and to sometimes Vince McMahon's own personal relationship with with the performer. Um, I'm I'm not so sure about Orndorff. The New Day came out, and MVP and Lashley are with the ladies in the back, and we start off with Bobby Lashley, Xavier Woods in a singles match. Um, Woods, uh, after getting beaten down, made his big comeback with a Topicon hero, got a cross face on. Lashley gets out of that, and then Lashley is just destroying Woods, sends him into the post, hits the spear, and then out of nowhere, Woods capitalizes with a small package, pinning the champion in 10 minutes and 41 seconds, pushing the idea if Kofi Kingston the miracle could happen again on Sunday. And Lashley, um, I I was negative on this watching it. I was less so with what they did with it for the closing promo. But I I still would prefer like Lashley. It's almost like we had to lower him to give you a fighting chance for Kofi Kingston to win. But I would say the, the promo was very good at the end of the night. I thought... It was really unusual booking by WWE kind of formulaic standards. And as a result, I actually kind of immediately really enjoyed it because the sense I get coming out of it wasn't necessarily that Lashley was diminished. It was more to me an elevation of Woods while at the same time giving Bobby Lashley a really good reason to want revenge. Um, I was one step back, two steps forward for Bobby Lashley becoming this more dangerous threat going into the pay-per-view. That was the intent, you know, but I was watching it honestly more from the perspective of what it will do for Xavier Woods. I was like watching this match and I felt like, wow, he this entire month, I think Woods has been doing a great job. Uh, you know, he's cast, unfortunately, as sort of the fall guy for Kofi here. But in these matches, he works his ass off, whereas, you know, most people in the position, it just might be another day at the office. He has taken every opportunity to actually show what he could do, uh, played a great sympathetic baby facer until, of course, the ending. And, you know, while tonight's storytelling didn't necessarily seem to call for it, I mean, coming out of this, I feel like, I mean, you have to do Woods versus Lashley again for the title shot. Yeah, um, I, I, think, I think Bobby's killing Kofi on Sunday, and I think he's killing Woods next Monday. And very possible. Bobby Lashley is going to have all that steam uh, for his SummerSlam opponent. I, I honestly yeah. think Woods is getting murdered next week. He is, yeah. You know, before, I would say, watching Bobby Lashley in the closing segment... I felt like there was a greater chance that Kofi was going to win because I thought for a second, okay, maybe they'll escalate Woods up here by beating Lashley so that they could tease Woods versus Kofi potentially for a championship. Seeing the the closing segment tonight, I don't get that sense at all. I think, I'm sorry, it's going to be a bad, maybe very... (laughs) It's going to be shades of Brock Lesnar, Kofi Kingston, unfortunately, on Sunday um, is what it seems like. But this was the type of booking that I actually was quite in favor of because it kind of caught me off guard in a positive way. Kevin Patrick, after the break, tells MVP that Lashley was seen leaving the building and MVP downplays it and says he'll be back for the VIP lounge tonight. Jinder Mahal shows up on his custom motorcycle and Veer and Shanky have Drew's sword. Alexa's playground with Eva Maria and Dewdrop. Alexa is a full babyface now. She has been for 
most of this. Well, tonight's period. show was like confirmation of her specific role. When was she last a full time heel? Because she was a baby face against Shayna. Um, you know. Was she a baby face that whole time with Shayna? I guess so. I guess yeah. that was maybe yeah. The the implied murder was uh that's a baby face trait. So yeah, where where did all that Shayna stuff go? It just uh disappeared along You're with Shayna. Right. Yeah. Uh. Well, yeah. What what happened with all that? I I don't know. We didn't get any. So Shayna was haunted by the doll, uh, with a mirror. Yep. And Lily has not resurfaced. Yeah. Since she was stomped on by Shayna. They've really scaled back on the Liliness. You know, uh, the, these entire we- several weeks, and I, you know, you wonder if that's due to feedback, audience reaction, audience criticism, or maybe they're saving it for something bigger. Oh, that this, that's fan worthy when they bring Lily back. Mm-hmm. Eva just takes all the credit for the eight woman tag and answers when Dewdrop is asked questions. Eva's the star of Raw and calls this a dingy playground. And Dewdrop gives a wave to Alexa before leaving with her master, Eva Marie. Mm-hmm. That is right. SB Awards. Yeah, oh, but on that note, I mean, I'm um, sorry. Just uh, like, cause um, somebody messaged me, and I'm sorry, I forget your name, but like somebody messaged me the night of Dewdrop's debut on on Twitter, bringing up the Dewdrop name as a potential association to Lily, as in like a Lily Dewdrop. Um, I mean, there could be some sort of subtle you know, link that they've been teasing this entire time in the background that we're not realizing between Lily and De- or Alexa and Lily and Dewdrop. What that... if Dewdrop is Lily? Yeah, maybe that's why we haven't seen Lily so much. It's somehow this doll. Have they ever been on the show together? Um, I I for, I forget. Yeah, how do you explain that? She what, the doll has possessed uh Piper Niven. Uh, the doll has. Taken on its human form and its dewdrop. Interesting. When, when Shayna stomped the doll, it created dewdrop. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, that's going to be some next level storytelling, man. Yes, yes, we'll we'll revisit it in six weeks when that uh, all comes together. Uh, yeah, so I guess this is our uh, first shot of Sasha Banks on WWE TV since WrestleMania. Winning yeah, sure. the best WWE moment with Bianca Belair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was oh. waiting for a shot of a best MMA fighter with Khabib. They did not show him. During the best second. MMA fighter? You mean best UFC fighter? Because wouldn't that be the category? Uh, I don't know. I think they call it best MMA fighter. I don't think it's branded as UFC fighter. But this WWE award is strictly WWE. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, I don't think there is uh, about as much legitimacy. I mean, listen, it's a very deserving. It's a great PR moment for for these two. It's a great PR moment for WWE. But I get the sense there's not that much le- legitimacy to these SB awards. Now the SB awards they have the sports awards and they have the entertainment awards, and oh, those okay. are the differences between MMA and WWE. As this next segment backs up, Jinder Mahal. Are with is with Veer and Shanky in the ring, and Jinder is offering to apologize for Drew McIntyre and is willing to give back his sword. Drew appears on the screen, and they reveal that the sword has been broken in half. In storytelling that I would have had my story sent back to me in grade three if I had given this as my lame out. 
Drew explains, you've got the replica of my sword. This is the real sword. Yeah, the replica. So yes, Drew travels with a replica sword, which I wonder if they're selling on WWE Shop. Uh, I hope not. (laughs) I don't know if they should be sending swords to wrestling fans. Drew is... You wouldn't believe his positioning here. He's right next to the custom motorcycle. And he proceeds to create, uh, commit a crime and destroys this bike. He backed up. Dude, I thought he was going to claymore this bike on the concrete. That would have been awesome. He that would have been tough it. for him. but Oh, um, it would have been a terrible landing for him. But I thought, I was like, my God, he's like, he was backing up. I was like, he, he's got to claymore this thing. Unfortunately, he did not. He, he might destroyed have the better, bike. He might have had a better chance because it was a little awkward watching him like rip parts from from the bike. You know, um, maybe he should have used a clay. Like he should have used the sword on the bike. What else? What good is a sword for? If you're not going to use it to slice up a a motorcycle, it's right there, Drew. Come on. Um, so next week, Jinder's got to show up and say, "That was my replica bike. <laughs> this is my real motorcycle." That's brilliant. And then you know what? They're going to have the match. Drew's going to pin Jinder. And then the other Jinder will walk in and say, that was my replica Jinder. That was Hinder. <laughs> that was Hinder. And then Drew's like, it's just it's just a whole thing of, of, of variants of clones. The clone Wait, And then they're going to they're going to patch things up by realizing that the text was a different person texting that. And Drew <laughs> would have responded, but it was. Sent to his replica half. Yes. All what replicas. is happening to Drew McIntyre? It's like one thing like <laughs> they nailed over this pandemic was Drew McIntyre, and now he's doing this program. I didn't think this was that bad, John, honestly. Oh, dude, this like, to is me, an the, awful program to be The most with. offensive thing about Drew right now is the, the history teacher shit. Like, this was, to me, part for the course pro wrestling WWE storytelling. Uh-huh, dude, did you it. hear the interview he did? I, I cannot remember the outlet he spoke to. And he, did this, he was asked about story time. I think it was Scott Fishman, I think, that did the interview. And he was yeah. asked about story time Drew. And he yeah. said... The classic thing any performer has to say when they know it's garbage, but they have to put a positive spin. It's like, oh, I'm trying to add some, uh, do something different, do to have less of an edge and some fun stuff. And then the guy so clearly as a wink to his audience says, yeah, you know, I, uh, right before these stories, I don't have them prepared, but then I go into Riddle's room and he's burning that incense. And then I come out and I just have these wacky stories and I'm really hungry. Mm. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> so, it, so for, cool. for the day that Drew McIntyre is no longer in WWE, this will be the time he's going to look back and it's going to be like, oh, I hated it. I was ready to leave. As soon as those checks don't say the the people that are telling him to, to say this stuff, um, maybe we'll get a, some real thoughts about it. But this was not the worst stuff he's had to endure. Yeah, the build up to SummerSlam will, I guess. If this is going to be the match. No way. You think so? If Drew doesn't... Gonna... If Drew loses at yeah. Money in the Bank, what else do you have for Drew? So, I mean, I guess that largely depends on who is coming for SummerSlam. Who who they have available for SummerSlam. I can see gender being perhaps a backup program, but it's it's a bit of a weak one at that. You know, to be at best, it's a raw match. 
Uh, we'll see. We'll see. SummerSlam is not that far away. Mm-hmm. Riddle is with Nikki. Riddle asks why she doesn't just fly to the top of the ladder. That's because she's almost a superhero, and therefore she can't fly yet. So we had our fatal four-way. Nikki, Ash, Oh, Asuka, you, didn't, you didn't care to go into the rest no, of the Riddle? No, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not breaking this down. I have my limits. These are just so awful, and they completely, again, underscore the absence of Randy Orton on these shows. And yeah, this was taped last week, so it, it's not necessarily news, but... I just, man, R- R- Riddle with anybody but Randy in these segments is completely unbearable. Um, like, Randy is just, I never thought this about him as a quality, but he just, like, he's like a pair of he's sunglasses. He's a straight man. Well, he's like a pair of sunglasses with which to look into the sun that is Matt Riddle's uh, just awful, awful backstage segments. You know, they're you mean, terrible. You mean a pair of goggles. Or goggles, of course, yes. Night vision. So, Nikki, Asuka, Naomi, and Alexa Bliss. As we mentioned, this was taped last Tuesday. So, Naomi taped this the day after Jimmy's arrest. So, this wow. would have been a pretty difficult day, I would assume, for her. Mm. Um, they So, half of this match was focused on Alexa. Because Eva Marie and Dewdrop come out. And Alexa stares down Eva, who is able to deflect the hypno- hypnotic powers of Alexa, and then Dewdrop attacks Alexa, throws her over the barricade and into the imaginary pond and disappeared behind the barricade and they could not find her. So the rest of this match was a triple threat where Naomi, Asuka, and Nikki went through all of these near falls. Nikki uh, got this Naomi applied this wacky looking submission on Nikki. I don't know what this was. Nikki appeared to be tapping, but the referee did not constitute this as a tap. So Asuka broke it, applied an arm bar, more near falls, and then Nikki catches Asuka um, almost like a European clutch, but without the bridge, and covers Asuka in 13 minutes. So after losing last week, Nikki wins this week, and this is our, our 50 50 uh, race to the top where everyone is on everyone's exact same level. Well, who did Nikki lose to last week? Last week, she got pinned by, was it Naya? Okay. So, I remember. mean, I, I, I think you're right. Something to that, to, like that. But I do feel like there is it was, something. It was the, the eight-woman tag. And, yeah, she took the fall. I think it was Naya. I think so, too. But I do think there is some consistency in this booking because it seems like it is being Nikki being placed above Asuka. No, Asuka. it was Dewdrop. It was Dewdrop who pinned her. Oh, Dewdrop pinned her. Okay, fine. Dewdrop is at the top right now. She pinned Asuka. She pins Nikki. And we know right now, using our math, that Nikki is being situated above Asuka. So I do feel like there is some consistent booking. And, you know, Asuka fans aren't going to like that. But your projects this month are Nikki, Nikki Ash and Dewdrop. And both of those people are being book strong, including Nikki. She's winning clean here. Um, I didn't have an issue with this. You know, I thought it was pretty decent um, in terms of a closing sequence. And really, above all, just continued focus on Nikki Ash. No matter what you think of the character, I do think they are, you know, pushing her in a believable way. That was a great explanation. And it allowed me to double check. I was right the first time. It, it was Naya. Oh, <laughs> I take my point away. Well, she won this week. So none of it matters why they each cancel one another out. An awesome segment here with the Viking Raiders. 
Ivar says that AJ has insulted their way of life. Vikings are some of the most spectacular and rugged people on the planet. They have excellent hygiene. The ladies love it. And AJ is going to learn to respect the Viking culture. Eric then tops that by saying he has the tall task of tackling the Colossus Omos. And Omos would have given Bjorn Ironside a fight for the ages. I'm hoping Drew gives us a lesson on Bjorn Ironside. Maybe he was a a co-founder of Bellator. He's going to find a crack in the armor, and next week they win the titles. And they wandered off screen, like you and I do sometimes, yelling, Raid! 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 Fuck. These are not even humans. These are like these... Oh, dude. They... I don't know what it is, okay? It's like... Oh, man. You remember War Machine. You remember these guys in NXT. And, like... To me, it's like... I'm watching this Royal Rumble, 1992. Like, this is exactly in Vince's wheelhouse. This t- These two. This, t- this type of tag team as straight up, like... These destroyers. Somehow they come up to the main roster and it's like... <laughs> Fucking turkey legs. It's like um, decathlons, which I'll never forget. I'll always bring up every single epi- uh, thing with the Viking Raiders uh, attached to the decathlon. It's the karaoke stuff. And now, in an effort to, like, I suppose make them relatable. <laughs> oh, I, I felt such a kinship with these two. I really, I really realized the parallels. So their characters now is not that they're Vikings. It's that they are human cosplayers who have such a close affinity to the viking culture that the reason we are we want to cheer for them is because the heel has insulted their way of life their their religion basically this was like ivar explaining the merits of the viking culture and somehow i'm supposed to like want to see this guy get revenge for AJ to AJ style like it's ridiculous like this 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 is just taking us further there's they're completely overthinking it just makes make these two barbarians who just destroy I don't want them to talk anymore you know because it's it's not done them any help just come in and destroy people with your violence you know like show me that you're vikings you don't need to like tell me about like Fucking um, Bjorn, Bjorn Ironside, a Bjorn. Norse, a Norse Viking chief and legendary king of Sweden, who appears in Norse legends. According to the 12th and 13th century Scandinavian histories, he was the son of the notorious and historically dubious Viking king Ragnar Lothbrok. It would be the equivalent of like you know turning on like wrestling in 1992 and having like. The natural disasters give us lessons about like hurricanes and like you know like here are the biggest earthquakes. Like I don't care. I just want to see a bunch of guys destroy other people, and they've gotten so far from that that it's just oh man, this was terrible. So then AJ and Omos came out to further insult the Vikings and getting off their wooden boat. AJ is going to break Ivar's leg. And now all of a sudden, this tag title match is no longer on Raw next Monday. It's now on the pay-per-view. 
which right. I'm wondering if they just shuffled this when they lost the women's title match and put Bianca and Carmella on Friday, and now this is just going to fill the slot that they had earmarked for Bailey and, Be- and Belair. Because they really didn't make any reference to this in the promos. It was just the graphic they had. Mm. Yeah, why not? Shuffle it. AJ and Ivar were actually on their way to having like a pretty fun match together. Like AJ works really well with like these athletic big men. And I I would say like the only negative here is that this just ended so quickly. We got like a little bit of like offense from Ivar, which is rare in these spots. He got hit by a Pele kick and then caught him with a seated senton out of the corner. 344 and Byron summarized what this means for Ivar. Momentum, momentum, momentum. Yes. Yes. Which is obvious bullshit based on the outcome of this next match. Momentum is a total fantasy. Well, I think momentum, um, you know, is a good way to counterbalance um, the lack of momentum later on. Or what is the opposite of momentum? Friction? You know, momentum. This program. You want to build up your momentum so that if you encounter friction afterwards, you end up in a 50-50 state. So I think that's what we had here. I agree with you. It was a fun little match. For the importance of it in the grand scheme of things, I, I actually felt three minutes was fine. Yes. Part of me says, okay, it could have been a bit longer. The other side of me is like, I'm getting this eight more times. So yes. we'll get mm-hmm. that match. Omos versus Eric. The first Raw singles match for Omos, which if you're going to pick an episode, do it on the tape show where you've got six days to take care of it. And therefore, I still didn't think this was all that great way. Dude, this dude cannot do a lot. It is a very, very small drop down menu of what he can do in this ring. I don't disagree with you. Yeah. But, you know, that's, to me, part of the art of professional wrestling, especially when you have, like, these kind of very superhuman beings, like a really tall guy in Omos, who, you know, whose main attraction is his height. You do what you can to accentuate his strengths. And I actually thought he showed a lot more charisma, a lot more intensity and confidence than the previous times we've seen him. You know, he was doing a lot more posing, a lot more trash talk in the ring. And I think in the WWE the big man game relies a lot more on those theatrics than say, you know, being able to pull off like spectacular moves. I'm glad his finish is the tree slam because that is what I thought of during this match, that this was Eric having a pro wrestling match with a tree. (laughs) Yeah. Omos stood stationary. Eric came at him with leg kicks and just like wrestled around him. He jumped and Omos had to catch him for a bear hug And then Eric got out of the bear hug. He fired up and Omos ran him over. AJ yelled, finish him. He finished him with the tree slam and he pinned him in 323. And it was Groot. And a match with Groot. That he did, yes. Yeah. So the momentum was extinguished for the Vikings. It was just a way to promote this tag match that's coming up at some oh, point. Oh, it promoted it so well. <laughs> yep, I upgraded my WWE Network uh, to the version that airs programs that are advertised in advance. It's a select here. Mm, yeah. yeah. They spent a whole week promoting uh, an interview or a bio, and this secret version of the network airs it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Worth it. Uh, we got a highlight of Seamus's nose breaking last month with Umberto Carrillo and Seamus with his face shield on 
uh, is telling Pierce and DeVille that they're making him defend his title or he'll be stripped. Pierce and DeVille should have told him, hey, Tom Billington had it way worse than you. <laughs> Bad what back. Got to get yeah. down to Tampa. Here's your 50 bucks. We need that tag title. Lucha House Party congratulated the New Day. New Day congratulated them on beating T-Bar and Mace. This is great. And then Woods, this is the most interesting part of this, asked Lucha Party how their SummerSlam party is coming along. I wanted more details about the SummerSlam party the Lucha House Party is planning. They're scouting locations at the moment. Wow. Uh, We get an update that Lashley has returned to the arena. Don't know where he went. There was a Money in the Bank video voiced by Corey Graves. 83% of winners have cashed in successfully. Sheamus beats the piss out of Carrillo backstage. Damian Priest is look, looking on. And Carrillo tells Pearson DeVille he does not want the match delayed any further. He's going out to fight. And he did. He came out here. And Carrillo can't even stand on two legs. Sheamus hits him with a bro kick and pinned him. And I kid you not, 18 seconds. Meaning, if next Monday on Raw, that all of a sudden, Carrillo is going to have a whole arena chanting a word, then this could be the second most famous 18-second win in Sheamus' career. Ooh, interesting. Uh, what would they chant? Uh, Humberto Carrillo is not a chantable name. No, it's not. Uh, Humberto, Humbert, maybe. Well, um, I mean, maybe, maybe, they were, maybe someone was getting ahead of themselves watching WrestleMania 28 for our Rewind Away in two weeks. Is that coming up in two weeks? Oh, okay. That's our next Yeah, one. maybe. Listen, the Carrillo is a, you know, but, but a first chapter in this story here. And I actually felt like it was a pretty good way of setting up Damian Priest versus Sheamus coming out of this. The Sheamus Carrillo feud has some real life depth attached to it, given the number of very real life injuries that both have suffered in their matches. And so by this point, rekindling it for the purpose of building up to priest versus Sheamus, I felt, I thought felt really organic. It's believable that Carrillo and priest are friends and having priest come out here to defend a bullied, injured Humberto Carrillo, I think is a perfect way to lead to him ultimately getting a U.S. title win at SummerSlam. Ricochet is backstage <laughs> And Riddle scoots up. Pardon me, partner. Didn't see you over yonder. Ricochet is so excited for Sunday. And Riddle goes on about how they're heading out west. So he talks about a western spaghetti burrito and his favorite western film, Toy Story 2. Riddle then says, if he wins the money in the bank... He will cash it in on the tag champions for Randy Orton. Ricochet thinks this is a flawed idea and doesn't know if Money in the Bank works that way for tag titles. But before we can get a decision, we hear surprise splash holes. And there's Morrison and Miz squirting them with the drip sticks. And then Miz (laughs) runs over (laughs) Riddle's injured foot (laughs) And 
as Riddle is holding his foot, and these two morons have just wheeled off in the wheelchair. Ricochet is just so upset, and he goes, why would you... <laughs> like Ricochet wanted to have an honest discussion about what would possess a man to do such dastardly things as squirt a guy with water and then roll over his foot. I rewound this and watched it three times and Ricochet's reaction, why would you, was better each time. And it ends with uh. Riddle saying, drip, drip, it'll go down. High noon style. This was my favorite Ricochet speaking moment <laughs> of his entire wrestling career. I love this. Um, Why would an, you? He's a man of logic. He needs to know people's reasonings for uh, various attacks. Oh, my um, God. He's Dude, an this ad-libber. show is like I'm watching WandaVision. It's all these people that are like, they're not even human interactions these are all people that are under the spell it's just the question is who is wanda this is vince vision it it is yeah it it has been for the past 30 40 years that we've been watching all this stuff um what it comes down to john is the fact that these are not trained actors no and they're given scripts that probably aren't really well suited for their abilities and as a result, you have just perhaps the most expensive, the most watched broadcasts of bad acting on TV that's out there. Um, it's part of what makes professional wrestling so unique is the fact that we watch some of the worst wrestling. I mean, outside of pornography, I suppose, we watch some of the worst wrestling that exists probably on broadcast. And uh we keep coming back because you know it's not that it's not the acting that they do well it's all the other stuff that they they do well nonetheless i think the miz and morrison are hilarious i find the miz actually far more entertaining in a wheelchair than without a wheelchair he's been where he ro- great. where he just races off like you're thinking he's just hightailing it after they've hit him with the squirt guns and when riddle where in that momentary gap where he's grabbing his foot and then you piece it together. Oh yeah, this guy's got the injured foot. I laughed. I thought it was rather amusing. There you go. So I ask these... Corway. My my bar is it doesn't take a lot for me. Do you think show. these dripsticks are going to be sold? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. See, I'm just I question it because I don't know if it's the, the water guns are the best things to sell your live audience at a wrestling event. That's a nightmare. I mean, they sell booze, so, I mean. Are you saying combine the two? They won't be dripsticks anymore. They'll be dripping with, you know, forbidden substance. We got this great Falls Count Anywhere match that I think everyone thought could be great. I think it turned out to be pretty spectacular with John Morrison and Ricochet. Uh, Early on, uh, Morrison executes a neckbreaker onto the edge of the apron and then a backslide while using the wheelchair for leverage. They, they've they gotten everything they can out of this wheelchair. Um, yeah, I ho- and I, I've been really impressed. Like, I hope this man uh, heals completely. I hope he leads a very mobile life. But I also kind of don't want him to leave this wheelchair because I think it's been a great gimmick. Maybe this is what Connor's going to do at all the fight nights and pay-per-views. He's going to show up and... Like uh, like a why, why worry about rehabbing yourself when you can be on the road every week? 
sure maybe jump into the octagon with a wheelchair so guys can like bounce off of it yeah um uh, they fought in front of the led screens ricochet hit a 450 off the barricade jimmy smith says i don't think anybody else uses moves like this so maybe jimmy smith needs to give uh lucha gifs a follow on twitter Mm, right imagine jimmy vikingo will blow jimmy smith's mind Mm-hmm. Uh, Ricochet scales to the top and hit a shooting star press to the floor. Um, Morrison gets a ladder out. Ricochet then dives over the wheelchair. This is when Miz is trying to create a obstacle. Ricochet just dives over the wheelchair. And then they fight to the back where Morrison nails him with a super kick. They make their way back out and Miz shoots Ricochet with the drip stick, which leads to a roll up. Morrison hits the moonlight drive and then Riddle comes down on his scooter and tips the Miz onto his back in the wheelchair. The Miz was either super glued to the floor or he's paralyzed from the waist down because he could not move. He was stuck <laughs> in this position for the next five minutes. He's stuck. He's stuck like a turtle on his back. He was. He was a turtle. Yeah. Morrison well, then comes how, up. Well, he, the man has a broken leg. How is he supposed to maneuver out of this? He's got thing? a knee injury. Well, guess, that's that's just as good as a broken leg. I guess he has to be very careful. Morrison comes off the rope into a recoil. And then the final spot is Morrison is set on the ladder on the floor. And Ricochet comes off the top with a splash, breaking the ladder and pinning Morrison in 16 minutes. Uh, this is great. This was a really spectacular match. And I'm going to say... Uh, I thought this anyway before watching this match, uh, but after what they have placed the bar at and with the talent involved, this men's match on Sunday, I think it has the potential to be one of the best Money in the Bank matches this company has ever had. That is an unbelievable lineup, but the bar is very high. Um, But these two are in it, so I think this is going to be a really a hell of a ladder match that the men are going to have. I'm definitely looking forward to it, yeah. I You know... I'm- the talent is just really strong on this roster in general, but sure, maybe with these two in particular and their use of uh, creative use of, of uh, weapons around the ring. You have a crowd. Um, that's going to yep. emphasize look- a lot more. I think it's going to be that much hotter. Yeah, maybe you can look forward to something special. But just, you know, I'm really glad that they use this month to focus specifically on these two in this rivalry that they've had. Because I think they've quietly had a really wonderful little feud on Raw. It's a feud that's been able to showcase what makes Ricochet feel special in ring again. After, you know, like what feels like several months being on main event in a wasteland. Um, I feel like he's taken this feud with Morrison to prove how creative and how athletic they both are. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful that they're able to create something with that ability and that chemistry together beyond a formulaic three minute raw match. I think the, their use of the Miz and the wheelchair has been, uh, used to great effect. And I thought it did a pretty good job overall this, this month of rehabbing Ricochet heading into money in the bank. Sometimes like I wish they would be upfront with us about how many matches that they're going to have with one another. Cause um, even though like what, all the, the matches, were... like hey, yeah, I think yeah, you and I John. should have three matches, and we're gonna Dude. have shitty finishes for two of them. <laughs> well, I hope they wouldn't have shitty one. Finishes. One was really shitty. The other one, the double yeah. count out, I was fine with with the uh, the cross body off the barricade. To to me, like you know, just being upfront about it. Hey, we're gonna have a best of five, okay? Like treat it like a baseball schedule. 
where you know these teams are going to face each other five times. It's going to be the same game five single five separate single times. Wait, it's but often not end, a best of five. If you said the number, you'd be pretty dumb. What do you think that conversation would have been like back in March between Biggie and Apollo? The problem is, yeah, they have no plan. They have no foresight to be able to say, okay, at the end of five five weeks, we we want to get get to here. But if they did, I wouldn't mind this philosophy of them constantly rebooking the same matches just to get the same faces on TV every single week. If they if if each one meant something, if at the end we could tally them all up to give us some meaning about who ultimately won the battle. So, um, you know, like that's that's my only ask, because otherwise I thought almost I've enjoyed all three of these matches that they've had. Schreiber is with Natalia and Tamina, and Natalia has a foolproof plan. She wants to win all the women's titles and mentions being in the ladder match, which she was added to on Monday afternoon. And then they hear laughter in the background, and it's Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. They come in and ask, what's so funny? And they responded, we came all the way to work to laugh. This is our role. And Mandy tells Natalia, a foolproof plan can't come from a fool. And they don't like Natalia's odds of winning the money in the bank or beating Ripley tonight. If I was Natalia, I would say, you know what my odds are to win money in the bank, Mandy, Dana? A hell of a lot better than your odds, as you're going to be ordering the network to watch this match. Ooh, ouch. Tamina just shoved Dana, and I was waiting for her. The gall. That's a, that was not the line, John. The line was... <laughs> that's some damn gall. That's a damn gall. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> she said... So for people who don't watch SmackDown, it was like the most awkward segment that they had on Friday where it was like, Natalia says one thing, and then Tamina's like, gives this awkward pause before she comes back. Yeah. And that's a damn gall. Like what? That should be a new saying. A damn goal. Like am I? That's, yeah, it's a brand new type of saying. So that's a, what, that's what, what be on the shirt, dude. You know what? There's a lesson to be learned on tonight's show. If you're a performer and you ever freeze in a live promo setting, just about any scenario, you can carve your way out of with three words. Okay, to, it's a reaction to anything. Why would you? <laughs> Oh, why would you? Yes. These are like very little. (laughs) These are things like where, well, you and I will forever attach to these characters that I don't think anybody, but the people that listen to these shows will will understand. Because like, it's like Heath Slater. Every time I see Heath Slater, I still think of Breath Tasty. Breath Tasty. And nobody else will get that. But the people that might listen to these shows. Yes. Uh I'm sure you can find the interview, uh, which was done just days before WrestleMania 28, our next Rewind Away in two weeks' time. Oh, there you go. Following the script. Yeah. So, like, I mean, if you're trying to keep track, I'm. it's impossible to tell who in these these feuds are heels and babyfaces. Because I, I get the sense, watching Don't worry this, about it. they're all heels. I mean, Natty and Tamina, judging by Friday, they're definitely heels. Mandy and Dana on this broadcast are totally heels. Yeah, but no, bullying is not a heel tactic in WWE, as evidenced by uh, Rick Boogs and everyone else. 
that's just being competitive. That's just being, you know, yeah, um, uh, 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 challenging. Yeah, that's just having balls. Kevin Patrick spoke to Drew McIntyre. He says a money in the bank could be his last opportunity. Remember the story of Icarus? You know, Tricky Icky? (laughs) Do you think that would have won the Academy Award for Best Documentary? Tricky Icky? Yeah, we should ask um, the director, Brian Vogel, about that. He says the briefcase is the sun, and he'll be flying straight for it, and not even the sun will stop him. See, WWE will do these like absolutely batshit ridiculous things with their characters, and I'll be angry for maybe like two, three weeks, and then I'll start to like it. Like when you when you oh, commit you're... to the joke that bad that much, it comes to the point where it turns back around, and I I respect it. So I'm watching these Drew segments now, and he like starts off them really normally. And then he breaks into the storytelling mode, and I just start laughing. I'm like, oh, here we go. Time to get my popcorn. Tricky icky. You know? Rhea Ripley and Natalia will be the trivia question of the final match shown in the Thunderdome. Though technically not the last match in the Thunderdome. That would be SmackDown. Okay, technically, yes, you're right. Yeah. Last one to air. Old main oh. event. Um... That's or 205. Point. Or 205 this week will be... Well, 205 is not done at the Thunderdome. That's done... Oh, yeah. Performance. Okay. Rhea Ripley and Natalia uh, had their match. I, I thought these two actually had, like, a very nice match here. Um, mm-hmm. This was... Um, no, Natalia looked really good in this. She was going for the sharpshooter multiple times, and Ripley kept stopping her. Smashed Natalia into the post. Uh, or Ripley was smashed into the post, and then took a power bomb, And then... Ripley is bounced off the top rope to an atomic drop. Ripley applies her submission. Natalia's got a roll-up counter. There's a wheelbarrow to the sharpshooter. She gets it, and then Ripley breaks it by sending Natalia into the turnbuckle, comes off with like almost this like capoeira kick, and hits the riptide in 9.33. So Ripley retained... Uh, well, it was a non-title match. But then she is attacked from behind with a chop block from Charlotte, injuring the knee of Ripley. This time, the chop block worked. And then applied a figure four, leaning over the edge of the apron, and tells Rhea, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. This was the first angle involving these two that I didn't hate my existence after watching. This was fine. Uh, I don't disagree. Yeah, I'll have to kind of rack my brain to think about their prior interactions, but certainly this was better than A lot better than, than the crutch off last week. Yeah, it required a far far less amount of um, acting from the two. But, you know, let's just go back to the match. I thought it was a really good match. Yep. They both looked, Rhea and Natalia both looked fantastic together here. To me, it's really clear, like, Natalia probably trains a whole lot with everybody because they both looked really comfortable with one another. A lot of really smooth executions of really nice, intricate sequences between the two. So the match, I thought, was worth uh, going out of your way to watch. You know, maybe not the best timing to book Natalia to lose clean after announcing her for the money in the bank. But who knows? Maybe this is their way of uh, teasing that she's going to win it all. So um, uh, you have that. But beyond that, it's I guess Rhea and Charlotte is the is the match that we're putting all of our attention to. It's been a terrible, terrible build for <laughs> these two. But the match could be good. 
the, the match that forget. ended in a DQ that has no stipulation coming back with it. So in theory, Rhea could do the identical thing she did last month. You're right. Yeah. Well, they'll super glue it this time. Charlotte was interviewed in the back and is asked, Charlotte, was that a preview of what's to come this Sunday? No, I'm losing this Sunday and I think I'm going to get injured. She should have gone into a history lesson about like, I don't know, North Carolinians or charlatans. <laughs> she said, it's not about the pieces in the game, but the players. And she learned from the dirtiest player. It's game over for Rhea Ripley this Sunday in Fort Worth, which I can only hope wrestling produces a third game over. Oh, wrestling move. Yeah. Mm, sure. Maybe Why not? not? Last segment of the Nightway. VIP lounge. Lashley is with the women. They call out Lashley multiple times, and then out comes Bobby Lashley Corbin. What, because of the vest? He had to look all disheveled. Thought this guy's <laughs> like just had gone and realized his stock had just plummeted or something. Lashley said, <laughs> I've said enough. He sends the women out because I want to speak to MVP alone. In the ring, in front of thousands of screens on television. He tells MVP in private. I heard that someone relayed this conversation to me. Kofi was right about me losing my edge and getting soft. It's gotten so bad, I lost to Xavier fucking Woods. And you're trying to cheer me up with champagne and women? This bullshit needs to stop. I have to destroy every soul that steps up for this title. And he proceeds to destroy the soul of the VIP lounge. He wrecks this set. Lashley then looks into the camera. He's going to tear Kofi in half and dismantle him like a custom motorcycle. He hopes that Kofi's ready to fight, not just for the title, but for your life. I will put your body in a box and send you to the circus with the other clowns. The circus is dead. And after Sunday, so will your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This was the most, I think, Bobby Lashley has had to um, say in a segment while he's been champion. Really, maybe during his entire WWE run at, at this present, um, at, during this, this uh, time. And it's the most emotion he's been called to convey in a segment. And I thought he did great. He was able to tell the story that they wanted. And that is to show that this is a Bobby Lashley that is pissed off. He's done with all the nonsense with the VIP lounge and all that other shit. You know, he's a Bobby Lashley who is hungry. And this is Rocky 2. You know? Or what is it? Rocky the th- four, 3? What am I thinking about here? Well, all the Rockies, okay? Where, like, Sylvester Stallone trains in really lavish lifestyle. Three. And then he has to go back to the desert. He's got to go to, like, train in the Rocky, the, the mountains in Russia. He's got to go uh, back to, you know, uh You're, you're jumping all over the franchise right now, but I think every every Rocky is like this, okay? Oh, he's rich now. He doesn't have to take training as seriously. And then he t- and then he he loses. So, like, you know, this losing to, to, what is it? Losing to Woods was basically Apollo Creed dying. And now he's coming back. 
Maybe, so maybe, I, maybe that's me. why they chose Xavier Woods, a.k.a. Consequences Creed. Oh, there you go. Boom. Exactly. Kofi Balboa exactly this Sunday. Why. That's exactly why. So I thought he did a great job. Um, they, they definitely had a lot of us scared for a moment when Lashley was left in there with MVP, thinking that this might have been the moment that they were going to break those two up. And I have to feel like that was intentional, either to sow the seeds for an eventual, eventual breakup or to at least put us on a bit of a roller coaster. Because I do not want, though Lashley has done a great job speaking for himself, I don't want to, I never want to see him break up with MVP. I think it's a per- pairing as perfect as Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. Um, you know, the only, the only time I could see them doing it is if they want to turn Lashley babyface. But I still think you keep him with MVP. I mean, to me, they could be a great babyface act. So anyway, uh, what did you think of the segment, John? I like the promo a lot from Bobby Lashley. I think it was needed. It was uh, not, I mean, you know, take it or leave it with this match on Sunday. Like, I, I think they've done a, like, a fine job building up Kofi, who he's really in this lame duck position. I think from the moment this match was made, I think people, I I don't think too many people are seeing this as more than a, a pay-per-view that Lashley is making a defense of the title. But I think Kofi's cut some great promos. And we got a really great one from Lashley here. So I think they've done a pretty good job with things. But I see Lashley. I think that Kofi and Xavier are there as the setup for whoever Lashley's opponent is at SummerSlam. And he is going to ransack these two over the next week or so. Well, I do think we'll get a, a more substantial matchup. I think we'll get a very dominant performance from Bobby Lashley, and then it'll be call upon Kofi to, you know, play like a very, very sympathetic underdog, probably getting beaten up for a majority of that match. I just simply hope it's, it's longer than the Brock Lesnar match, and I think it will, since it's a pay-per-view. Do you, um, with, with what people, main events? Like, what goes on last? Oh, I think Reigns yeah. and Edge goes on last. Though so I'll say, yeah. I wouldn't want to be following this men's ladder match, wherever that's positioned. That is going to be, like... Ricochet, Morrison, Riddle, Drew, Big E, Kevin Owens, Nakamura, Seth Rollins. That mm. is incredible uh, what they have yeah. um, potentially with that ladder match. I think that's going to be out of this world. Given that this is a money in the bank, you know, we anytime we talk about any sort of world title match, we, we have to think about the possibility of a cash in given, you know, depending on where that the ladder matches are placed. Um, what, who do you think leaves with at least the Raw Championship on Monday or Sunday? Lashley. Lashley. I think so too. What do you see? What do you see for him at WrestleMania or sorry, SummerSlam? I think that it's like when you look at the options of who's there on the roster now. Um, like I don't see Drew, and there's really no one else. I think when you have to like, if you're looking like outside of WWE. I mean, your your options are, I mean, people are going to look at, like, Daniel Bryan would be a huge surprise. Um, we, we know from his own, like, uh, revealed the fact that his contract calls for two matches a year. That would put Bill Goldberg in there. Um, p- people are going to talk about Brock, but all, all I can say is when I, like, as of several weeks ago, I had heard that Lashley Brock was not the plan for SummerSlam. That can always change and who knows um so i mean those are some options that that come to mind can they do the goldberg thing again i just feel like we've been through that so many times you know for these big shows that i they've just gone to the well one too many times and too close to to one another where i i really feel like his limitations are really exposed now yeah i think it'll be a big match but i just i 
I, I'm not ready to buy into another Bell and well, if he's 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 done the run. one match this year, so if he has one more left, your options would be probably SummerSlam, Survivor Series, or Saudi Arabia. Um, mm-hmm. And if okay, and if not, like let's say as you know, Lesnar, like I don't think like throw Lesnar out and Goldberg out. Like, where are you going with Lashley for Raw if you're throwing those out? I it's. You know, I mean, they've done the stipulation with Drew. I mean, they can pull some sort of shenanigans with the money in the bank to perhaps get around that. Perhaps they, but I definitely don't want to see another Drew Lashley match. Um, and depending on this Kofi match, you know, could there be enough life? What they're doing with what they did with Woods, I, I find at least interesting because it at least opens up, you know, a few more doors about future matchups for Bobby Lashley. Um, not to say that Woods and Lashley would be a SummerSlam match, but um inserting Woods into a potential title picture and I hope they keep Kofi within that title picture afterwards might at least present some other interesting possibilities for matches but you know unless it's one of the names you mentioned at a, as a surprise I'm I can't really say anybody on the raw roster is sort of that like must see headline attraction name no one no babyface has been built up on the raw side mm-hmm. so um yeah so We've got the two ladder matches, Lashley and Kofi, Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair, Roman Reigns against Edge, and then AJ and Omos versus the Viking Raiders. Six matches announced for Sunday in Fort Worth, Texas. And tonight's Raw at forum.postwrestling.com gets a 3.63. You guys are way too harsh. Either that or somebody's just bombing it, because I enjoyed this Raw. I thought it was logically like pretty solid for the most part. I'm not going to say everything was. I thought that you had some pretty, like really good matches actually, and Rhea Natalia, Morrison, uh, Ricochet was good. You know, uh, sewing the pieces for what is it, Damian Priest and Sheamus. Lashley cut a great promo. So come on. So on based on that, that was a uh, you know thirty minutes of really strong stuff. On the it show. was more than thirty minutes, John. If come on. Morrison and Ricochet went sixteen. Ripley and Natalia went. Under 10? Are you including yeah, commercial promo. breaks? Yes. Okay. And how long was the Lashley segment? I mean, his promo was what? Like three minutes? Four minutes? But even Lashley and Woods, I would classify as a pretty entertaining, you know, okay. logical segment. All right. I, I Listen, I thought I thought it was a fine show. I thought there was some real, there was some good stuff on the show. I'm not going to go Certainly crazy. Certainly not a 3.2 show. 3.67. Let's be 3.6 show. You guys are crazy. All right. That's going to wind things down, but thank you to everybody. Oh, do we have a piece of feedback? Um, Carl. Riddle, do you see the mid-card being his ceiling? Could you see him winning the briefcase on Sunday? I could see it, yeah, certainly. I mean, when we're talking about the the lack of baby faces on Raw, um, Riddle and Orton are up there, and Riddle would at least be something fresh. Um, mm-hmm. If you were going oh, yeah. that direction. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't throw out him as a possibility. I guess I, think he, I guess the question he, is like Randy Orton and what they're where they're going with that. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think Riddle is a leading candidate, actually. You know, they can continue the tag team, RK Bro, with Matt Riddle holding the briefcase and Randy Orton just stewing in the background that this idiot somehow is in a far better advantage for capturing the championship than he, he is. And eventually you do that match, maybe for a briefcase. 
and ultimately with Riddle, you know, becoming the victor. Um, he, to me, w would probably be the leading candidate in that match. All right. We'll be chatting about Money in the Bank plenty this week. We're back on Tuesday with Rewind Away. We're going back to 1992 to talk about the natural disasters, Skinner, and a personal favorite of ways, the Repo Man. So look out for that if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe. $6 gets you access to all our bonus shows, all of our archives. So check all of that out. And then we're back live Wednesday night. Rewind a Dynamite at 10.15 Eastern for Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso Patrons. So... Look forward to chatting with all of you this week and go check out the brand new Four Pillars shirt at store.postwrestling.com. Yes, a beautiful, beautiful shirt. I got to see WH Park in person. Really? The other day. Yeah, I dropped off a dad hat for him in store. So he had the, um, he, it was really interesting because like, you know, we're still operating under like um, COVID regulations, of course, and WH had to like, write down a description of every single person that walked up to the comic book floor at BNB. So it was just really amusing watching him like, okay, girl with lots of books, like, like every single person, he was really busy. I felt bad kind of bothering him, but I, I just want to look at this sheet and like WH Park has to analyze and basically re-describe what every person is. In this is all for contact sentence. tracing. Uh, I guess for keeping track, yeah, of of some sort, you know. Wow. So I went oh. I went out Friday night. This will be our last story, and then we'll sign off. But I went out on Friday night with my friends, and it was to go through the the whole process of like you have to give your name, your number. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not, some places aren't even doing that. Uh, I've I'm not surprised. I'm sure some are just not going to. It's like I I don't see it as a big deal. So, but I nope. imagine some people are probably going to be a. Uh, Less less giving of information. You Google on my shit. Like, my whole life is on the internet anyway. I talk for like six, seven hours a week on the internet. So what do I have to hide? Everyone knows your your thoughts on everything now. Everything. Everything's yeah. out there. You could, you could piece everything about way together from your, your digital path that you have left for everybody that goes years, years down the rabbit hole. All right, that's it. We've gone long. Thanks to everybody for tuning in live, downloading the show, what have you. We will be back later on this week. Postwrestling.com. Goodbye. Good night.